Insert theme song here. If you say, this life ain't good enough, I would give my world to lift you up. I could change my life to better suit your mood, because you're so smooth. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome back to A Warped to Remember. If you didn't know... That's just a banger of a track called Smooth from the year 2000 by Santana, featuring Rob Thomas. Yeah, the featuring is important. We, we can't forget Rob. Little Rob. Never forget. <laughs> oh, I probably shouldn't eat. My instinct is to instantly keep snacking. <laughs> anyway, welcome. Welcome to A Word to Remember. What do we do here, Rachel? You <laughs> said you were going to do the <laughs> intro. <laughs> Welcome to Road to Remember. This is a great podcast that my darling Rachel and I put together. We're two best friends, former, not so former, pop punk emo kids who are trying really hard not to snack. I think, you know what? Y'all are just in my living room with me. We're just like Mm -hmm. hanging out. We're having some snacks. We're going to talk about some music today that we really loved from the year 2000. I'm Rachel. She's Zoe. We're gearing up to give you the history of Warp Tour 2000 in the next ep. So to prep for that, we're doing a deep dive into some of our favorite bops. I was six in the year 2000, Aww. so it's a little bit. I remember the radio hits. <laughs> I was, but it's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. I was indeed starting first grade. Oh no, man. kinder. I was starting kindergarten. Wow, at six. I was five when I started, I gotcha. think. But I was, you know. No, fucking math. Yeah. Who knows? Fall of 2000, I started kinder. I was five. Gotcha. Okay. Because I was going to say, I was nine yes. in 2000. Math. I was in third grade. My Hell teacher yeah. was Agnes Nickerson, and I was at a Catholic school. Third grade was when I fully got into pop <laughs> Oh, in third grade. Third grade. Thank you. Los Angeles. It's very busy near my apartment. Yes, I was nine in 2000, so my favorite album in 2000 was the second album I ever owned. Oops, I did it again, baby. Britney Spears. I drew everyone in kindergarten, all women <laughs> of all ages, with midriff tops and belly buttons, because Classic. Britney was my muse, my yeah. guiding light. As she still is. I also really loved, was Black and Blue out yet by the Backstreet Boys? Um, when did the call come out? I wasn't a Backstreet Boys girl. I Ooh. was in sync. So I mean, I obviously, really Millennium would make sense. Yeah. Let's see. I'm eating a grape. Sorry. Ooh, I'm a genius. Millennium came out in 99. Black and Blue came out in 2000. Wow, look at you. I should have let in with lyrics from the call. That was my favorite. I was a kindergartner singing along, very impassioned, to a song blatantly about a man cheating on his girlfriend. <laughs> and I loved it. Yep. Uh, it was a real time to be alive, but... My point being, I was barely alive, and I was really into pop. That being said, I have a couple of very distinct memories associated with the songs I picked this Ooh, episode. okay. Very excited to share. Um, I mean, we'll get into it in the history up, but general idea, we all survived Y2K. Somehow. Y2K didn't even really happen, technically. No, and I'll talk about more about that. Amazing. TV. Huge. Reality TV. Burgeoning. 
pop charts were shifting from from like the Spice Girls more into the Britneys and the Christinas were shifting from Mbop into moving more into solo artists. Yes, yeah. but also Backstreet and Sync were still dominating. Sure. Yeah, boy bands but I think, and solo artists. But very much burgeoning sexuality, very mm-hmm. much burgeoning disillusionment. Ooh. I think the grunge era kids went to college, and then the like their younger siblings got woke and mad and that's the music we're gonna get into today i think it's the general vibe i'm getting post grunge very pop but also very rock very industrial we're coming off the heels of godsmack in the 90s oh my god you know and that's very much what my songs are rooted in this this episode you're gonna love it Mine are a real mixed bag, so it'll be a fun fun time. But in general, if you've never listened to us before, welcome. Oh, yeah, sorry. We um, started this podcast because we both went to Warp Tour and were both really fascinated with the rise and honestly never really fall of Warp Tour, just the rise and then the eventual just end of Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wanted to look back at the songs, uh, the bands, the what was going on at the time of each tour for better and for worse yes it's not a perfect tour no was not as inclusive as it could have been not by a long shot so we love talking about that i think that's going to come up a lot at least for me like this episode Mm -hmm. uh there not a single female that i could think of in the rock group like era that i wanted most of the like bangers by women were like late 90s for me and then like early 2000s but 2000 was kind of a dead zone for it was me. a weird it was and we'll talk more about this as we get into it but mm-hmm. 2000 was an interesting time and i i think probably because of the y2k and just because mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going to happen in the new millennium yeah and there's just so many kind of unknowns about moving into this new mm-hmm. century um but it, sometimes we do we and don't, it was pre 9-11 i think 9-11 honestly has such a massive ripple effect on Everything, but especially on the youth of America and on popular culture. It was like 2000, we were kind of hunky dory. We made it through Y2K, mm-hmm. fun pop music, everything's hypersexualized, but we're not thinking too hard about it. You know? Yeah, we're gonna get there for sure. So sometimes we do fun episodes that are like themed and we talk about different songs on a theme. Uh, this week and next week are our more history-centered episodes, which we'll talk about songs. This week we'll obviously talk about songs specifically from 2000. Uh, next week we'll talk about the history of Warp Tour in 2000 and kind of give you an idea of what was going on uh, in the world at that time. Oh, 19 years ago. Oh, my uh, God. I know. Wow. You feel yeah, there <laughs> There are kids who can vote. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Who were born post 9-11. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Math? Yep, yep, yep. 13. Yeah. Uh-huh. So with that, Rach, do you want to start us off? Sure. So, spoiler alert. I have two really angry ones. Oh, fun. And one a little more tongue-in-cheek. Do I start fun or do I sandwich the fun between the anger? I feel like... Oh, that's a great question. You know? Maybe do a good... I, I always love a, a good sandwich. I think I'm going to sandwich her. We're going to start a little mad. It's 
it starts with one I don't know why It doesn't even matter how hard you try Keep that in mind I design this rhyme to explain in due time All I know Time is a valuable thing Watch it fly by If you lived under a rock your whole damn life <laughs> This is In the End by Linkin Park Off their 2000 album Hybrid Theory I tried so One of their best albums, one of their most well-known albums. Besides their like more recent album, I feel like this was probably the most famous album by Linkin Park. Oh, for sure. I think Minutes to Midnight had a really big resurgence. That was yes. like, yes. you know, and I love Meteora. I love Reanimation. Those are good albums. This is not their first album. <laughs> Hybrid Theory. Um, this was one of the easiest choices I ever made band-wise. One of the hardest choices I've ever made song-wise because this album is so specific to my childhood i for those of you who have not listened to the podcast slash don't know me as person i have an older brother alex god bless friend of the pod um and he is zoe's age he's four years older than me so he kind of got into a lot of stuff and then i just kind of followed suit my parents were not super um restrictive in what we were allowed to like watch and listen to like obviously we weren't like going hog wild but music was they were pretty liberal with like all music as long as we weren't saying the curse words that the people were saying so i got a jump start on aggro music pretty quick i think a lot of the songs i'm picking today that i know really well that i like grew up with i found down the line through the radio Mm. like a couple years later because like 2003 was a big moment for me musically i was in third grade and i was really open to everything and i was listening to all kinds of shit and i specifically got into pop punk in third grade so this was kinder is a little precursor but this album really defined my childhood and i was really torn between this in the end paper cut Mm, and um one step closer was the one i really wanted to pick it's super angry note if you heard it you can clip out a bit if you want but no pressure but one step closer was probably my favorite song off that album that still holds up to this day that still gets me like raging But In the End is arguably one of their most famous songs of all time, if not their most famous song. Mm -hmm. It really showcases Chester Bennington, R.I.P., his vocals and the Fort Minor, like, rap element. They really intertwine. This song is everything and it's nothing. There's classic piano. There's weird reverb. There's new millennium production stuff. There's DJ elements. There's hip-hop elements. There's rock elements. And then there's, like, weird ballady sing-songy kind of moments as well it's like four songs in one yeah and it's a four minute song and for being this successful i was really surprised with actually a lot of the songs i pulled from the year 2000 that i really remembered that i really enjoyed were pretty much all radio hits and they're all four minutes or super yeah. close to four minutes which is long the early 2000s were so many long yeah long, long i feel like it was songs. kind of the first really big return from the 70s i feel like that was really common in the 70s to have you know, full-on vinyl records with, like, long tracks. Yeah. And then the 90s was a little more flash in the pan, especially with grunge and punk's yeah. resurgence in the 90s. Everyone was doing, like, two-minute songs. But all of a sudden, there's these, like, industrial-inspired, mainstream-successful, like, rock tracks that are long. Mm. 
But anyway, I'm digressing hard. I love this song. I think it's really indicative of the time. It has a lot of industrial elements, a lot of almost like metal influence a tiny bit, Mm -hmm. but also very much pop, also very much just like every, like the piano in this is stunning. And to like do rap and piano and like angry rock talk singing and make that all one cohesive song is pretty, it's a pretty big feat. And for it to be as popular as it was, I think it was pretty impressive. I think the youth of America was like ready for something new. And Linkin Park really bridges the gap between they're kind of whispering, they're kind of hinting at the emo that's to come in 2002, 2003, like the post 9-11 emo movement. But they're also kind of bridging the gap of like the God smacks and like the metal of the 90s with the pop and even the R&B almost instrumentally, you know, Mm -hmm. they like were everything and nothing. It was just weird and cool. And I think it really brought about alternative as a genre for the new millennium, which was the genre that defines me as a person. really insightful i have to say be honest oh the piano's not objectively good oh <laughs> it's not but uh i actually don't really like lincoln park i never got into him i love them and i remember listening to this on the radio and actually i remember it feeling so long and i think why i find this song in particular to just feel kind of long and for me is that it stays really one note the whole time of that we don't have a big drop i think because when the bridge in this is... They just, kind of build and then come back down. The whole yeah, song. Never, they edge you the whole song. It ne- yeah, it never There's really, no really big breakdown other than when he does the, I put my trust in you. Yeah. But he never, like, crescendos. Exactly. He never, like, That's peaks. what I mean. Like, vocally, he really mm-hmm. stays at one place the whole time. The piano is, like, singer, single-fingered, kind of, like, minimalist like it just has mm-hmm. one phrase that it plays over and over mm-hmm. again which again I mean I do appreciate that they included yeah. a piano I think just especially coming out of the grunge movement yeah, like it's even single yes. finger piano was like like whoa I mean I, I <laughs> agree with you that I do think the mixing of a lot of elements is mm-hmm. impressive and is really indicative of the kind of because the, from the songwriting perspective and from like the lyric perspective we're getting less of this like Anger. I mean, it's still angry, but like we're getting, we're starting to get into more of that like metaphorical um, kind of precursor to that the emo movement. Um, that's like frustrated, but it's still metaphorical, and you can kind of warp whatever he's saying into like to fit whatever you're mad about. Mm. So I appreciate that, mm-hmm. and I do appreciate that he tries to sing. I people really like renowned his singing for the genre, which maybe for the genre of alternative in general but especially for the borderline screamo they, they get into later in their yes career. actually later in this album um yeah i get both sides of the scenario yeah. i understand why he was revered in his realm yeah and i also understand from like a classically trained perspective I mean, why it would be a little yeah cringy. and it's not i mean it's not bad i just i yeah. just find i think i always found i don't know if i ever really found ugh, I think he was genuine in what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. For me, it always came off as like a little bit 
honestly disingenuous for some reason. I just never really got into Lincoln Park. And I, um, and it's no shame on them. I just, it wasn't, it just missed the mark for me somehow. Um, and I think because it didn't have the, because it was all really one note and it just, it, to me, it felt very like mm-hmm. we start at like a seven when we get to the bridge we somehow drop to like a five mm-hmm. and then we come back to the seven. I think lyrically as well, every, like they don't, they don't yank your chain at all. They're not metaphoric. They're not poetic. They tell you exactly what's happening oh, and how I you're feeling. metaphoric though. Um, well, you know, I mean like this whole song, like I put my trust in you, like I did this and you hurt my feelings. In the end, this sucks. Like it's very much. True. Yeah. So I guess it's not mood metaphor- wise. Yeah. It's, it's like kind of, hinting at emo but I think part of what at least what I really loved about emo and what I still love about emo is there's a lot more bigger extended metaphors and more True. like fun narratives and things like that whereas Linkin Park just tells you like I'm mad here's why yeah I guess that's a good point so I guess maybe not metaphorical is the word that I was looking for but more of like that opened her interpretation at least of like who you can put in for the you yeah no i agree with you on that that i'm just saying i think part of why maybe you don't love them as much is they were like too on the nose for you at this era like it's just like i'm mad here's why and it's like it's both vague but it's like the pop punk thing you know what i mean of like it's super vague and that anyone could be mad at this song and like the you could be anyone in your life but also it's like but you're just mad and there's no like there's no flourishes per se no, it's really not that either. It's just, it just isn't, I don't know. It just never caught me the way it caught a lot of people. I just mm-hmm. am not really interested in it. I don't, I, now looking back on it, and especially now after doing the podcast and like kind of seeing the progression again of, of these alternative genres within the 90s and then into 2000, I can appreciate that it was, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit that again, the mixing a lot of a lot of elements is impressive, but mm-hmm. I just still don't really care for them. Mm-hmm. And it's not against them. I just don't really like their music. Mm-hmm. I never really listened to it. It wasn't really on repeat when this song would come on. I was bored. That's just my, that was just me. But I, I appreciate that they, they have such a following. And of course it was very, it was heartbreaking just in general when, you know, with, with Chester and, mm-hmm. and I obviously feel for him that, that he had to go through a lot of pain and hardship to get here but I'm glad you picked it because I it was such a crucial song of 2000 I actually mm-hmm. can't believe that it came out in 2000 because it has had a lot of staying it feels power. really ahead of its time yeah. and like 19 years on this is still, this will still get played on the radio and it doesn't feel like oh this is a dated throwback song mm-hmm. it's just like this is a song that everyone's been listening to since it came out yeah there was no real Which like is- like kind of dead zone you know like this album's been played since it dropped yeah and i think it's really rare that a band comes on the scene and has a sound already right like they're one of the few bands from this kind of scene that i can really pinpoint as having like hybrid theory is lincoln park and all of their albums following feel like they set their tone and they kept that tone Mm -hmm. and they came in with a pretty mature sound for their genre Mm -hmm. and just kind of stayed strong and obviously there's like growth and change in their albums but on the whole like you know what you're signing up for with them yeah and i really enjoy that lincoln park was really huge for me growing up because that was one of the first like angry things i really latched onto that was contemporary that wasn't my parents because i grew up with classic rock and i had some fun stuff there but fiona apple alanis morissette and lincoln park like taught me how to emote healthily Mm -hmm. and like be mad and not hurt myself or others and um 
that was a huge, really cool thing about my growing up. years most of it i have not listened to but warning came out in 2000 it came out after nimrod's success of 97 mm, nimrod that's when i couldn't think of yeah so warning was overall it's one of my it's actually my favorite green day album is warning and um i it's probably not a lot of people's necessarily favorites but i like it specifically because it does have a lot of like more folk elements like they use a lot of acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and i Foreshadowing to wake me up when September ends. Perhaps. Yeah, lol. Um, <laughs> I feel like it was the it was. I could see some people kind of thinking it's like a little more low key Green Day. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. Although I mean, I say that, and then my other favorite song off of this album is called "Blood, Sex, and Booze," which starts with. I don't a, even know that song. Uh, it starts with a little clip of a dom. So what? Yeah, go back and listen to it. Um, mm. So it's. It's it's definitely not like a wholesome album, but it is. It's like I overall think it's one of their best, um, just kind of feel good albums overall. I mean, uh, it's all of the songs are again. It's kind of funny because I I know I criticize Linkin Park for having like a kind of one tone. This song "Waiting" also kind of has one tone, um, which I think is again. We're going to get into more dynamic music uh, in this genre the later we get into 2000 with people mm-hmm. taking more risks with what they do. Even just like, musically. I can't wait for 03. <laughs> Even exactly. just three years Even from just where a couple at. of years. But mm-hmm. right now we're in, I feel like the music of 2000 was like on the safe side. Yes. Where it was like, we want to get played on the radio. Yep. Um, how do we do that? You know. And so this song, Waiting, I think it's just really sweet. Um, and, you know, it's 
like waiting for like all the great things in your life to kind of come and you're like it's a positive you know like, really positive outlook on like mm-hmm. um you know all these things that you want to have happen to you um it's just kind of nice I um again I like that it's uh mostly it's like acoustic guitar there's some nice strum action it's not very it's not really musically like groundbreaking again also on the bridge they cut out everything except for uh Billy Joel singing and then um sounds like Billy Joel every time Billy Joel (laughs) the piano man himself the piano man Billy Joel shows up to sing now Billy Joel um, and, you know, what you get is kind of, like, uh, is a choice, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. but again, like, because punk was, like, kind of getting out of the mainstream in a way. And exactly. so I feel like these alternative bands had to pivot a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so Green Day, I think, pivoted to, like, a little bit more of, like, PG-13, um, mm-hmm. from their grunge days. And, I mean... I don't know. I dig it, but I didn't like, I didn't come to this album until maybe like 2005. Um, so it was a couple years on and, uh, that's really when I really fell in love with this album, but it was, it's definitely my favorite. I was listening back through all the songs. It was actually hard to choose one. Um, waiting, this came out as their third single actually came out the following year, but the album itself did come out in 2000 and, it's Green Day. Green Day's only appearance on Warp Tour was indeed in 2000. So I felt like oh, I wow. to, we had to do a nod of the hat to, Shit. to Green Day. Time for this moment to come. I'm destined for anything at all. Yeah, so those are my thoughts. What do you think? I think it's so funny because we usually agree. Or if we, if one of us picks something, the other one wouldn't like pick. It's like, oh, cool. I like, I like it. I feel how you feel about Linkin Park about this. Yeah. Um, I like Green Day. I've, they've come up on the pot a bunch. I'm pro Green Day, you know? But I was very much, like, obviously I'm young. So American Idiot was pretty much, like, mm. the album for Green Day that I knew pretty well. And then after the fact, I kind of dabbled with Nimrod and with Dookie. Mm-hmm. I listened to a little bit more. Um I hate the song, <laughs> usually, when it comes up. I think it's slow as shit, and it's the opposite of what I enjoy from Green Day. The way you explained it, I totally understand. And as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I get this. I like that they changed their sound a little bit. Like, we made it through Y2K. We're chilling. Like, get a little folky. Yeah, exactly. Get a little acoustic. Yeah. But as a kid listening to this, I was like, this song's slow, and I don't like it. <laughs> I didn't like this song, and I didn't like Good Riddance. And they were on the radio enough that I was like, oh, do something. Make me feel something. So we're very opposite with those. Um, though I do really like Green Day. And upon listening to this again all the way through as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I totally get the appeal. As a kid, I was like, no. Yeah. I forgot this album existed. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, it's such a... I think people like just kind of overlook this album. I mm-hmm. honestly find it to be 
I don't find it to be like essential Green Day. I find it to be just like a really solidly well yeah. put out. What's album. fun about Green Day is, despite finding commercial success so quickly, I never ever question that they're doing what they want to do and they're having a good time. Yeah. And I think that's why they're arguably the most prolific pop punk band. Yeah. I think they've transcended pop punk and they're just a rock band at this point. I think Blue 22 <laughs> is the like prolific pop punk, mm-hmm. but. They started a pop out as pop punk and they influenced all the pop punk bands that we know and revere. And I think part of that appeal is that they've always done what they've always wanted to do. Yeah. And it just so happens to be super commercially successful. Yeah. I mean, the fact that American Idiot did as well as it did, the single and the album is fucking hilarious. They're yeah. Canadian. They're, They're talking not shit. Canadian. <laughs> they are not Canadian. They are. They're not Canadian. They I are. S- they are not Canadian. I swear that's a whole thing. I was misinformed. They are not Canadian. They were from the East Bay of California. That's wild. Why did it come up that they're Canadian? I don't know, but they're not Canadian. But that's like, an, that's like a thing people believe, though, right? I have no idea. Maybe that was just like an urban legend in my school. Cut this out of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my point being, it's wild that American Idiot did so well because everyone thought like... He was oh, born in Oakland. That's wild. Yeah, I don't know where he <laughs> I don't know. But the thing that's so wild is that it did as well as it did, especially in, like, the Bush era. Because it's like, you're talking shit. You're talking so much shit. And everyone's like, no, we're in on the joke. We're good. And you're like, no, you're not in on the joke. You're just, like, <laughs> rocketing this song. This song is so funny. I do feel like this album, I will say, to your point on that, I do feel like this album, uh, if people were going to call Green Day a sellout, it would probably be over this album, unfortunately. Really? I kind of feel it. Interesting. Because, well, I, this is the way I look at this album is that, like, they got castrated a little bit. Like, it's definitely media-friendly for the most oh. part, except for Blood, See, Sex, I and think Booze. the opposite. Really? I always got the vibe that American Idiot was them selling out because it's like, we're going to be edgy and political because that's in right okay, now. Okay, well, then, right I now. mean, up until American Idiot. Whereas this was Idiot, the yeah. antithesis where it's like, we're not going to make those, like, fun punky songs that all the kids like we're gonna make music for us that's not gonna be as commercially successful that was their fuck you Maybe, yeah. whereas american idiot is arguably I mean, and i don't think american idiots them selling out either no, but you know until if, they made if the broadway gonna, show of it and then yes that was them selling out because what the fuck is that if we're gonna like nitpick though you know what i mean yeah. i feel like that would be this album's more like no fuck you guys we're not gonna be fun in high school anymore we're gonna make music for us this one is I yeah <laughs> but maybe that's just me I think this appeals to my midwestern I also thought they were Canadian so I'm a fucking idiot <laughs> no you're not just, <laughs> yeah this appeals to my midwestern sense of like folky like kind of warmy I don't know vibe anyway so no I like it I love that we've had two the 2000 was weird different tracks already yeah. 2000 was a weird time it was it and was everyone was doing weird shit interesting and I think it's I really like that we're kicking off this episode with <laughs> one very famous band's debut mm-hmm. and one very famous band's like midpoint yeah yeah it's really interesting to see and both of which got really heavy radio play yeah, yeah. in this era and beyond yeah. both have really big staying power I think the year 2000 is really interesting from a pop cultural level from like a cultural studies level and looking at the shit that was on the radio is so interesting because we were right before like the big myspace napster moment mm-hmm. we're not quite in the thick of that yet so like pretty much if it wasn't on mtv and it wasn't on the radio you didn't listen to it you go by a cassette you know I mean? tape like i feel like the riot girl movement lost a little bit of steam the like punk grassroots movement is still going strong but not in the same way that it was you know what i mean yeah. kids were disillusioned they were buying from tower records they were not mm-hmm. buying from you know random punk shows anymore i mean they were but you know what i mean yeah yeah 
you know, commercialization. Yeah. On that note, I'm going to play a fun one. Yeah. Because my other song's really mad. Great. (laughs) Good. This is Original Prankster by The Offspring. not a song i was particularly familiar with as a kid or like when this came out uh it's very much an after the fact i of course grew up with the offspring you know you gotta keep them separated but i didn't really know this one when i was looking up songs i was trying to pull at least one that i didn't grow up with that just like felt fitting um but a big part of why i picked it is um so it's called original prankster obviously play on words original gangster making fun of Rap, poking fun, um, 99% sure that it is a sample. I don't know if it's an actual sample cut directly or if they're just imitating him, but the You Can Do It is yeah. Rob Schneider and the Waterboy, which that, was from 1998. Right, okay. So it's very much dumb, straight, white boy humor. <laughs> very much poking fun at things, literally referencing a Rob Schneider thing from an Adam Sandler movie at like the peak of Adam Sandler before everyone decided they didn't like him anymore. Um, and a huge part of why I picked it is it just has huge Jackass vibes to me. Yes. And Jackass was my childhood and Jackass premiered in the year 2000. Nice. Nice. So I keep mentioning MTV. I've mentioned MTV pretty much in every history episode we've ever done. They were a big part of my upbringing, MTV and VH1. My brother and I grew up watching Jackass. We didn't, I didn't watch it live in 2000. I was a little bit too little, but I, you know, sorry parents, definitely started watching Jackass when I was like eight. I was like six at this time, but I was like, by the time, by age eight, I was fully invested. And I watched all of Evil of Am and all that shit from like ages eight to like 14. Um, and I was very much a tomboy, very much uh, dumb, straight white boy humor was me for a while as I was like finding my identity. But um, it just felt right. Like this song pokes fun. It's very much the offspring still sounds exactly like the offspring. They're one of those bands that like, you always know it's them. Mm -hmm. The vocals are so distinct. Their just general vibe is so distinct. They almost always have that rattlesnakey instrumentation and the like tongue in cheek kind of stuff. And they stayed fun. And um, it just felt, it felt very Warped Tour. It felt very much where Warped Tour was going at this time. Like there's a definite cross section of like the boys who watched Jackass and the boys who went to Warped Tour. Oh yeah. Especially in the early 2000s. So I had to pick something that kind of, did that and I had a massive crush on Johnny Knoxville my whole childhood and I had a mild crush on Bam Margera regrettably and I just thought these boys were the funniest shits around and I was like this is comedy and I still stand by some of it (laughs) I still love the occasional jackass bit um you know 
But anyway, it just felt right to do, you know, there's all this disillusionment, big radio play songs, but this song was one of the most popular of The Offspring, um, single-wise, but it wasn't, like, I don't think it's played as much, I don't think it had as much staying power, but it was very fitting for the time, which is why I picked it. Yeah. It definitely feels like early 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I like that it's a bit Mm tongue-in-cheek and kind of still playful, and they were experimenting, because, I mean, they are so prolific that it's, like, it's nice that they kind of tried out some different sounds. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, and I will say, musically, they do include a handful of uh, hand percussion instruments that are fun. The guiro from uh, Latin America that gives you that kind of like... We the rattlesnakey noise. The rattlesnake <laughs> noise, yeah. It's like we That's all what played, I fondly refer to it as. It's the... Uh, we all played with them in, you know, elementary school. Uh, but they... It's the like kind of hollow gourd looking thing that you... That's like has grooves on the side and you take a stick or a percussion um mm-hmm. like a drumstick or whatever a mallet and you, you rub it on the grooves and it makes mm-hmm. that kind of like i can't do it without the thing yeah. so just imagine listen or to like you again. know when like your friend's mom went to vacation in insert yeah. developing nation here and they brought yeah. back the like wooden frog and yeah then you like yeah you, like, you rub the back, stick yeah. across the frog and yes. it croaks a little Similar. Similar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a Moroccan, and I'm sure, or like an egg shaker. Mm-hmm. Somebody's back there, like with an egg shaker. Also, I feel like it's very on brand that the offspring historically are a little questionable in the cultural references mm-hmm. they make and the yeah. things that they borrow from. Yeah. I don't know the band that well, but I get the vibe that they're white dudes. <laughs> Maybe yeah, I'd be it surprised. Very clear, but they use yeah. a lot of um, Hispanic and Latin X culture in their stuff, and they poke a lot of fun, and they have some questionable lyrics every now and again. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that is also very indicative of this time. It is. <laughs> I'm, not, it is. I'm not saying it's all okay. I'm no. just saying it was very much the well, era. That's the exact thing. It's like PC culture as we know it now was not a thing in 2000. It was a far cry away. Yeah. yeah. This was like Von Dutch hats, casual racism. <laughs> yes. And white dudes making fun of rappers. Yeah. And us I would say it's great. probably like the peak white dude. Yeah. Because they weren't under attack. 2000 to like 05 almost. At least. I the Bush say, era made everyone hate straight white men a little more. But. I would say at least like through my high school career. So to 2009 and then we the tables started maybe turning. Anyway, I digress. But yeah. So. <laughs> but it, very indicative of yeah. the time. And I, for yeah. better and much for worse. Yeah. Warped tour culture. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I think the last thing I'd say about this is that it's really interesting out of the three songs we've had so far, all of the bridges drop out almost all the instrumentation and it's just like either a solo singer and mm-hmm. one instrument. Or There's like, like a moment. Instrument. Yeah, which is such an interesting choice to me that we, instead of like, let's like try out a different key or like, let's like speed up the, or, you know, like get ready for the drop. The idea was like, let's just take everything out. And then all come back in. But again, we're all coming back in to the same key and the same tone and the same place that we left. And which is really interesting. And I can see why a lot of people like have problems with bridges and music because it, mm-hmm. a bridge should uh, be a bridge. It should lead you to the next idea. But it's really interesting that we're, we're getting a lot of songs that are like, this bridge doesn't really take you anywhere different. It's kind of just like a diversion. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, I'm not calling any of these bands out on it. I just think it's interesting that all three have had that really specific mm-hmm. idea. So, mm-hmm. 
I think that was to the 90s, early 2000s, yeah. what the clapping chanting is yes. for the rest of the 2000s. Yes. Uh, Two tropes I love in so pop punk. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> we very much like 04 onward got really into the... Oh my God, yeah. We are friends and we're mad. You <laughs> yeah, know? Right? Maybe if you throw a stomp in there, you're I like... I got my best friend really? in the front seat and my pizza <laughs> in the back. No regrets. <laughs> What do you got for me? This is my second choice. So denied, so I lied. Are you the now or never kind? In a day, and a day this is Here's to the Night by Eve Six. Is this? Yes. I know them. Eve Six, baby. Eve Six off of their something album. I forget what order it was. Uh, Horror Scope. And I. Is this one with the girl with the blue hair on yes. it? Yes. I know this album. Yes. This is the girl with blue hair. It might be their. I would hazard to say, at least, if not their best well known album, definitely like. It's definitely one I knew because I didn't know Eve Six very well. And yeah. one of my brother's friends let us burn his CD of it. Yes. So this is Horror Scope. Horror, and it's spelled. Like horror movies scope. Horror scope. Horror scope, yeah. Horror scope. Um, this was their second album, actually, uh, out of four. Came out in 2000. <laughs> um, and this was the one of the, this is one of their biggest singles. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest single off of this, or their first single off of this album, was Promise, um, which I think has a little bit more of like a, a slightly more upbeat. Mm -hmm. Um, so... <laughs> yeah, I always... I never had, like, a full grasp of them. They're one of the many bands where, like, I recognize the album art. Yeah. Couldn't name a single track off the album, but if it played, I would nod along and know vaguely how it went. Right. They're one of those bands, and in my mind, Eve Six is always kind of bubbly. Yeah. I chose Eve Six because they also were on... They played Warped Tour a handful of times, mm -hmm. and, like, were one of those bands that, like, I would kind of assume that I would see at Warped mm -hmm. Tour... Um, so what the fuck is their name? Eve Six. Do we know six. what that's about? Yes. I've always wondered. We do. Uh, they were originally called Yaku, Y-A-K-O-O, -O, then Eleventeen, <laughs> and then... Oh, boys. Uh, the name Eve Six was only adopted later, and why it's called Eve Six, actually, maybe... Uh, it's a re reference to the X-Files. Oh! Okay, fair. 
So can you tell I'm a big nerd except for the X-Files? I didn't get to the X-Files. <laughs> yeah. I buffied hard instead of X-Files, and then I got too into Doctor Who, and I never went okay. back. Okay. I came it's... to X-Files late in life, and I have to say... Oh, I'm going to come back to it, and it's going to take over. I just haven't gotten there yet. I was too busy yeah. watching 15 years of Supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, uh, Eve 6. <laughs> Eve 6 was... Uh, they definitely weren't something that I played a lot, but mm-hmm. going back and listening, especially to this album again, I was like, why? It's again, I think, it's so funny. I don't know why my brain just chose these very just kind of like... End of an era. <laughs> yeah. End of an... Honestly, it does feel like end it of is. an era. It's a new beginning in 2000, but it's very much the end of an era. Yeah. The 90s were so distinct yes. and had so much going on. Yeah. And it's also, you know, the beginning of the end for us. We're the information generation. Internet happened. 9-11 happened. Yeah. Fucking all the school shootings happened. Like, we became even more disillusioned than we were. Right. Around this time. Yeah. It's very much the end of an era. Even though I was fucking six, I had a very distinct view of the world and a very distinct view of, like, what was happening in the world between 1999 and 2001. Yeah. Even as a little kid. You could just sense that something changed. Yeah, and I do think, I mean, and it's probably fair to say that, like, a lot of the songs that came out in 2000 were kind of written in 99 or, like, mm-hmm. before, were, like, yeah. bubbling in 99, which, yeah. so I, we do kind of get this end. And everyone kind of felt the end of the grunge era. I mm-hmm. always hearken back to Warped Tour Happened right after Kurt Cobain died, and right. that had a huge impact on how everything went. Right. Uh, so this song in general, I mean, it's very thematically similar to Waiting by Green Day. This is, maybe in a little bit different way, but in that same, like, let's celebrate the night that we felt alive. Um, Like, let's really enjoy this moment together. And, you know, it's really kind of warm and fuzzy in a way, but it's also, you know, it has that sadness of, it's bittersweet, Mm -hmm. bittersweet. I would just say, Eve 16 is always It's the last song of the last prom. Yes. This is really, I mean, I think this probably got played at so many proms Mm -hmm. in the early 2000s, proms and graduations. Um, Dude, so many girls probably got their first finger blessed <laughs> to this song. God. <laughs> you know? Uh, Whenever a song is a really big prom so song, slow. I'm like, someone got their first hey J to this. You yeah, know probably. what I mean? I always think that when it's prom wow. song. Um, <laughs> That's a thong song at prom. Ooh. Yes. I mean, classic. You're picking very heartfelt... I picked the jackass theme, Good. basically. Which is, and that again, sums I us think up. was really 2000, yeah. Um, <laughs> also, you were more mature than I was at that era because you were four years older. Hello. Uh, I will say, musically, I find this song to be more dynamic at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, the bridge changes keys. Mm-hmm. Shocker. Um, truly. And then he plays around with a little, like, descant harmony, kind of changing up the melody at the end, um, which is nice. To throw in some, there's strings in this for some reason. Somebody was like, you know what this needs? Strings. Throw them in. Throw them in. Are they real strings? Mm, mm, do we really think that when they... When did Good Riddance come out? This feels like this walked so Good Riddance time of your life could run. That came out before. It was before? Yeah. I always thought it was into the 2000s. No, Good Riddance came out in the 90s. Damn. I always have the worst timeline with Green Day. I think. Because yeah. all of their songs played on the radio at the same time because I was late to the game. So there was no like burgeoning Green Day. It was like American Idiot and everything before that <laughs> was all dumped into my brain yeah. when I was like eight. Yeah, Good Riddance came out. Because um, we've talked about Good Riddance before. We totally have. It's off Nimrod. Yeah. Wow. Well, I feel like then I take back what I said. I was trying to compliment Eve 6. 
Eve 6 made good riddance time of your life light. Like the diet yeah, version. It is. Good riddance Again. perfected it and then these motherfuckers came around and tried to do yeah. their own. Again, it really is just like, I. it does feel a little like we took the raw, rough uh, grunge and punk era and we like mm-hmm. scrubbed that bitch, made her shiny and bright mm-hmm. and like squeaky and put her into these early 2000 yeah these 2000 bands like it very much is like um the barbie version of everything mm. and i don't know why i don't know why but those these are just the songs that were speaking to me yeah from this year that were in this genre because totally. honestly when i was nine years old i was listening to britney Spears yeah we were all listening to midriff cloud yeah big voices <laughs> i was still very much into backstreet and nsync oh Celebrity by NSYNC. Oh I think that God. was 0203. I was in love with Lance Bass. <laughs> Dude, even as a kid, I'm like, so I'm off about him. I was That's a why J- I liked him. I was a JC Shazay, baby. No, I was like, the other ones are too manly. <laughs> See, I was like, ooh, JC's got something. Lance Bass just has a nice little smile. Also, boiling lava hot take, but JC Shazay fucking carried NSYNC. JT would have oh, yeah. been nothing without JC. Well, JT was dealing with his ramen hair, which is just like, true that. We need to have a moment for that. Anyway. We already established Zoe, yes. 2000, feelings, hugs, single tear. The Kumbaya Circle at the end of camp. Rachel, 2000. Not that. Discovering her anger, discovering her sexuality, getting real upset but not understanding why, not knowing any real struggle but feeling real mad. Wow. With that, we're going to hard left turn from what you did and launch into the song I most identify with. Wow. Listening to in the car with my brother on the way to karate. (laughs) So specific. It's this and it's um, The Man Without Fear by Rob Zombie off of the Daredevil soundtrack from 2003. Uh, These are those two songs. Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Suffocation, no breathing. Don't give a fuck if I cut my arm. This is Last Resort by Papa Roach. Bitch, I have been waiting to bring this out for the pod.
tough choice for me because I also really, really, really wanted to include um, the other very similar in vibe, big single, Down With Sickness by Disturbed. Uh, uh, I was uh, nice. real torn between the two. And honestly, as an adult, the song that I enjoy more is actually Down With The Sickness, funnily enough. But as a kid, I fucking loved Last Resort. I did not understand the true lyrical content. Very dark, very sad. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a feeling. And it slapped hard. And it made me revved up. It made me want to kick stuff. So love it. Um, I came to the song a little bit later, obviously, than when it initially came out. But my brother and I would listen to, like, this fucking Rob Zombie. That one Rob Zombie song from the Daredevil yeah. soundtrack, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, then we'd both, like, duet Evanescence, Bring Me to Life, on the oh way to sparring practice at our Taekwondo studio. Because we'd, like, get revved up to go punch shit. And I love it. And it makes me think of my brother. It makes me think of Weird Al Yankovic, who did an amazing polka medley oh of this song yes. and Down with the Sickness. Oh, my God. With the accordion, if you recall correctly. I would love if you clipped it out, but I would not blame you if you did not. I'll throw it in there. But he did the whole, like, oh, the Weird Al version is so fun. And if I recall correctly, it merges both of those songs. Oh, my God. Uh, It's just a vibe, I think, like I was saying before, with uh, a lot with Linkin Park, similar energy to Linkin Park. I think the Papa Roaches, System of a Downs, Disturbs of the World... Uh, really had a moment here, especially in the year 2000, especially on the radio. Incubus had a big single on the radio at this time as well. It was like all those industrial influenced, like heavy distortion, like rock groups that had something commercial about them. Can't put your finger on it, but that shit worked on the radio and they were all happy to be on the radio. And you don't know why, but it happened and it worked. And just like the angry white men of America, you know, loved this. And I did too. So it felt right. I've been waiting so long to bust it out because it just feels like my childhood. It feels like what I can only imagine what the like straight white boys like moshing at Warp Tour must have felt. This yeah. song brings out in me to this day and did bring out in me at eight years old. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just visceral. And then as an adult listening to it, I'm like, fuck, this is really dark. And it was over my head, but the feeling was all I really needed. And just the righteous indignation just felt right. And it was such a precursor to the music I ended up properly loving and the albums and the bands I ended up fully listening to. I never got into Papa Roach. I just loved this one song. <laughs> oh um, but it just reminds me of all of that wrapped up. And honestly, I'm thankful for it because I was always cool, like expressing my emotions. And like I was a tantrum kid and I never kept shit bottled up. <laughs> and I think mostly for better. Um, and music like this is what kind of helped me as a kid realize, like, I'm allowed to yell and, like, be upset instead of, like, hurting myself or others. I'll just just be, like, mad and, like, thrash around. Like, music was such a healthy outlet for me from the youngest age I can imagine, like, that I can remember. And songs like this, as silly as they are, just, like, really strike a chord, you know? What are your thoughts? (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, Papa Roach was on Warp Tour this year in yep. 2000. I was so. delighted. That's part of why, because technically that album came out in 2001, but I knew they played 2000. Yeah. I was like, I'm making it work. Well, make it work. Fuck, Papa Roach. It's so funny, like, listening to them now, they just seem like a joke of themselves. But, like, yeah. then it was so, again, it was, like, so authentic. Yeah. Well, and it felt like there's almost a Limp Biscuit. Yes. energy here yes. with a lot of the delivery of the lyrics, yeah. a lot of the talk singy, 
almost rap but not really yeah. kind of things and it feels like this was the turning point in culture where we all started to kind of laugh at Limp Biscuit, but then think that this was like amazing and authentic and now it's like 20 years later it's kind of a joke I, if I were going to put them all in a like I really when I think of Papa Roach or Limp Biscuit or anything I put them all in this group it's like honestly like Linkin Park Papa Roach Limp Biscuit and Creed yeah are all just kind of like in their own little and like Godsmack. Slipknot Godsmack comes in Corn, Corn, Corn for sure like they're all just kind of in this little like bucket to yeah. me of like stuff that I heard on the radio and was like what and then did not have the same reaction that you did but I will say I did like uh, there was a long time I liked Scars uh, which is the 2004 hit by Papa Roach. But um, what I will say about this song in particular is that I do think it's got an, I mean, it grabs you instantly and you are there and you're mm-hmm. with it the whole time. It's like that opening note gets the whole group yes. thrashing. Yeah. Everyone's like, yep, we're about to fucking rage. Yeah. And you know right away. Yeah. yeah. So that first note grabs you and it really pulls you in. I mean, I do feel like this is, all around a more high energy song mm-hmm. um, than what was kind of how ha- it was. It was definitely more high energy and that kind of anger and that rage mm-hmm. that had persisted in the nineties in different places. So, mm-hmm. um, but again, it, it got to be more marketable for some reason. Yeah. And I just think it's so interesting that we all chose to get behind Papa Roach out yeah. of anything. Why? Well, and I don't think anybody, I don't know a single person who was behind them beyond scars and, uh, last resort. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. like, ooh, deep cuts. You know, I love that other album. It's like, no. No. It They're was still the two making songs. music, though. They I put know. out another and album. And they clearly year. have a fan base. I just didn't know any of them. Uh-uh. But I feel like um, I just had to fact check myself, which is why my phone started playing music. But um, Freak on a Leash by Korn is yes. one of my faves of that era. But oh it was 1998. Oh and it really God. feels like a new millennium thing. But that album was from 1998. Wow. So Freak on a Leash existed when this, when Last Resort was on the radio. And I feel like. They go together in a big way. I feel like the trifecta for me of like me stepping out of my comfort zone and leaning more metal yeah. from a young age was Last Resort, Freak on a Leash, and um, fucking Disturbed, you know? Yeah. Like it was yeah. just, it was uh, fucking Down the Sickness. Sorry, I like said songs and then I said a band. But you know, like that's the trifecta is like Down yeah. the Sickness, Last Resort, Freak on a Leash. Yeah. Everyone got mad. Everyone listened to it on the radio for some reason, even though was, it was like yeah. not really marketable except that it was and then Marilyn Manson's coming onto the scene at this point which unheard of to have a performer be that way yeah Yeah. Sismalon's coming up baby yeah oh yeah 2001 I'm ready baby I had like one song by them that I really loved (laughs) as we all did but yeah that was the thing was again I I feel like we're starting to get more into these the one hit wonders yeah and I mean Yes. I've, I want to come up with a stronger term. True. Because all of these bands like have, like, the one single yeah. we all know. Yeah. But they They're so totally amazing. persisted yeah. and had fan bases True. and toured around the world and, like, True. found success. But we, like, the larger American contemporary, we know, like, the one really good track. Yeah. And, and like, not that. just rock kids, not just alt kids, not just yeah. scene kids. It's, like, clean cut blonde chicks from Orange County could be like, I remember that song. Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) You know, it was like somehow the great equalizer despite being so specific and all these parents were like in umbrage and like couldn't believe that the the, that was happening, like that Slipknot was a thing and that corn was a thing and and yet mainstream radio play. I know. Crazy. Weird. 
it's such an interesting, weird, almost flash in the pan kind of moment. Because I feel like mm-hmm. beyond that, like, kind of five-year span, mm-hmm. we haven't had a, a similar thing since. Mm-hmm. In terms of, like, really super high-concept, narrative, metal, screamy, dark stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Billie Eilish is a really interesting figure right now. Because yes. of the imagery associated with her stuff and with yes. her music videos. Um and she's somewhere in between, like, the pop star, the teen star, and, like, the high-concept artsy indie artist. Yeah. Um, but I can't really think of anyone in the last 10 years who was, like, that outwardly, like, goth, weird, industrial, and that main- and found that much mainstream success. Mm-hmm. Other than, like, that little flash-in-the-pan moment of, like, these all these singles from these metal bands. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I think Linkin Park a little, Slipknot obviously had some staying power, but... I can't think of anything from like 2010 onward that was mm. like that dark and that marketable, you know? Yeah. No, I, I can't either. And I feel like Black Parade in like 07 was like the last time that a really emo, really goth aesthetic was in the mainstream so yeah. much. Yeah. And they're their own sound and they're their own conversation, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so interesting. I'm. Th- there's no real point here, but it's just it's just, it's just interesting <laughs> observations. Great. But yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I knew I'm like ooh, <laughs> so he's gonna good. roll our eyes. But I almost did the full. Ooh. Oh my god! Almost. We're dying. And I listened to it all the way here. It's my honorable mention for the month. last choice this is a a bit out of left field from a band um i had heard of but did not know well Mm -hmm. until i looked at the list and they did play warped um and so that's why i'm pulling them out but yeah this is gonna be nobody's gonna be surprised when i play this but here we go This is All Things Ordinary by The Anniversary. breakdown Ooh, right so they are an emo band uh they formed in the late 90s this album came out in 2000 they're from lawrence kansas holy shit yeah so they really truly feed into my midwest sensibilities they recorded uh and were on an on a label out of kansas city uh for part of their early 2000s um the reason I picked it was I really wanted to get some female representation in our songs today. I'm and I'm so glad. I was struggling. Uh, All my favorite we, ladies had like 98, 
2002. Yes. <laughs> it was like a really, dead yeah. patch. It, and even looking at the list of all the bands performing at Warped Tour, I feel like it was a it was one of the more like dude noticeably heavy. yeah dude heavy years with some obvious exceptions, um, which we'll talk about in the next next week's episode for the history. But uh, this does have this the band the anniversary features, and I wouldn't say features. I would say she like is heavily involved. The main lead singer um, just plays keys, which. The keys are just that MIDI, mm-hmm. uh, which is, like, so obnoxious. But uh, Owl her, City Energy. It is. Oh, my God. <laughs> her name is um, Ad- Adrian? Adrian. There we go. <laughs> God. Adrian Verhoeven. Uh, and so it was her and then four dudes. They had a five-person band. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so they're from Lawrence, Kansas. They did not stay very long uh, together. I think they lasted to about, through about 03. They had another album in them. Um, and then they honestly just got too popular or I don't know. They just got some notoriety and that was just too much for them. And they broke up. And wow. I think all of them have gone and done other like mm-hmm. solo stuff or they've worked with other bands and hopefully all of them are still working. Cause it's really I, interesting for the, like just in terms of the overall narrative of the, like the hype machine of the two thousands and yeah. especially of warp tour and like emo that that was the dream to make it big and sell out and they like got there and they're like no and they folded immediately that's yeah. so the antithesis of that narrative we've come to know and understand yeah wow i know so um this song uh i <laughs> i rachel and i were talking about while we were listening it's again like almost all of these songs i feel like we've listened to today you could tell me it came out two years ago mm-hmm. and I would 100% believe you. Yeah. They all feel a little ahead of their time. This song in particular um, pulls a lot of elements that we're then going to see later on into the emo scene. I would say this is really early emo. Um, totally. They have the MIDI, uh, some uh, like four drops, uh, four yeah. chords and drops. So many drops. Um, the bridge again features just one instrument, but then we get a bunch of drops that happen um and some exciting guitar riffs so i feel like they get more instrumental as the song goes it's another four minute song um i particularly like her her voice reminds me a lot of greta from the hush sound Mm -hmm. i could take her leave leave or take the uh the dude's voice but um it's yeah i i wanted to choose a song because i thought for me I didn't listen to this in 2000, but I've now hearing it again, I think just because it, I think it could have staying power if Mm -hmm. more people had heard it then. And if people were still like, if they were still on the scene, they, the anniversary did play a couple of dates on Warped Tour 2000, which is one of the reasons why I found them and wanted to pull them out. Um, They also have a song called from this album called the D in Detroit, which was really beautiful um, and folk Mm. and has some more great female vocals. So Again, this is a little bit, um, you know, breaking from my, like, thematic, <laughs> really, like, warm and fuzzy mm-hmm. feeling for a night, so. I but love it. no one was surprised that I picked this song, no. because it sounds ex- like it. It's so up your alley. It's so up my alley. It's insane. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I talked through listening to it. <laughs> I was trying to be good, so feel free to clip out from that, but, um, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. I think it was a... 
is really interesting and they feel really ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know when you, when I'm sure contemporary listeners listening to this are like, wow, big <laughs> mid 2000s energy or whatever, you know, like I kind of pulled the, the techno elements remind me of a lot of the stuff I was listening to in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was 2000 yeah. and they formed in the late nineties. So they were cultivating the sound so early. Yeah way before emo really had anything way before, before emo was a term yeah. yeah yeah and yet this feels so specific and this feels so warped torn so myspacey yes and yes. at least five years prior to that and five years doesn't sound like a lot but when we're the information generation and we're the internet generation and the tech generation five years is a so lifetime long. yeah especially in music i think once you hit the year 2000 we hit the ground running and Every six months is some new musical movement or feeling, yeah. you know, or theme, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you picked this. I had no idea this existed. I really dig it. It was one of those things where when you started playing it, I'm like, I don't <laughs> love this. And then by the middle, I'm like, no, this is cool. And by the third dropout, I was like, ooh, I would have loved this yeah. in middle school, high school. Um, and I like it now. I'd listen to this again. Yeah. Um, I'm really impressed and surprised yeah Thank you for picking. I think that was a great way to cap it off. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to get into the history of 2000 and how this all directly impacted Warp Tour because what a weird time to be alive. Uh, I'm just like really optimistic about the next episode to like do a deep dive and get more into this. I'm really excited. We're in the new millennium now. This is an era that you and I both know and distinctly remember. I'm like six at this point. I have distinct memories of this era for Mm -hmm. once. So I'm getting really excited. Uh, And I'm just looking forward to everything that's to come. Great. Do you have any... uh, Yes. Honorable mentions. (laughs) So I already mentioned um, I was real torn between Last Resort and Down With The Sickness. Mm -hmm. So my most honorable of honorable mentions is Down With The Sickness by Disturbed. Breaks my heart. I couldn't include it. I'm honestly mad that I didn't think of even mentioning Corn in 1998 because I also loved Freak on a Leash. But <laughs> Down with the Sickness definitely fits everything I was talking about in this episode. But Last Resort, I have more concrete, tactile, mm-hmm. visceral memories of <laughs> as a kid. Uh, my other one, very different energy, is Wonderful by Everclear. was top of the charts ah, at this time. Nice, yeah. Um, charted pretty high in the year 2000 and was very much it wasn't my cup of tea at the time it's definitely slow Mm -hmm. and now as an adult i'm kind of coming back to it but listening to it um this week in prep for this episode it was just reminding me of the it's just like the textbook american teen disillusionment that you know green day taps into in Mm -hmm. wake me up when september ends that like the emo movement even taps into of like these kids who like know too much and their parents are getting divorced and like stay together for the kids blink 182 energy like Mm -hmm. all of these different bands i think wonderful really set the tone for that and really kind of walked so the rest of those songs could really run Mm -hmm. um 
Yeah. Yeah. Those are my two really big ones. I also, uh, I think I might have mentioned before, but One Step Closer by Linkin Park off of Hybrid Theory. I fucking love that song. And it's actually my favorite of Hybrid Theory. Hmm. And I also do love Paper Cut. And that's a one That's one of the ones that a lot of people know. But One Step Closer is like my favorite Linkin Park song off Hybrid Theory for sure. So nice. similar vibes with all my songs this, this week. But... It's also probably worth mentioning that Californication by Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, was out at this time. God. Also very much a vibe. Also very much aged well because very much say, relatable so to now and all the kids on Zannies in the Hollywood Hills in 2019. Um, I just don't love the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Hot take. I don't love them. So I was like, mm, it's worth flagging this song, but I'm not listening to the f- whatever it's like five minutes long I'm of course like, no. it is it's you gotta take a real yeah. fat hit and then so those are yeah nice. what about you <laughs> um i have a couple i mentioned uh blood sex and booze from yep. wait warning um it's a great one and uh, promise also by you six the from horoscope so those um some other songs off of the albums from the songs that i chose I would say Radio by Alkaline Trio. Um, I don't really like... I know. Matt Skiba! He's my pop punk nemesis. I... (laughs) But valid. (laughs) This isn't my favorite Alkaline Trio song. I would say that the album that came out in 2002, 2003 is the album that I knew really well. Mm -hmm. But this song, I have to call it out because of the first line, which is kind of a terrible line, but the first line is, Shaken like a dog shitting razor blades. Wow. And it, Mood. Yes. And it's uh, so early Alkaline Trio. They were on Warp Tour this year. They, uh, in 2000, uh, they really became a pretty well known band in the scene. Um, <laughs> There's a drag race going on. <laughs> La Brea. Um, little Things by Good Charlotte off of their very first album, Good it's Charlotte. The little Things. Little Things. That was my first Good Charlotte song. Oh my god. I love Good Charlotte. Good Charlotte. That was my first big Good Charlotte song. They were my oh. first real pop punk band was Good Charlotte. I think they're coming up on a future themed episode. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh yes. Yes, for sure. I was more into their second album, of course, as was like everybody, mm-hmm. in, which came out like a year and a half later. But uh, so Little Things off of Good Charlotte was like and they just so very clearly came on the scene like, we're going to, like, you know, put our middle fingers up and do na 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 But they're also so Charlotte. commercial. They oh, came yeah. on the scene, scene commercial. commercial. I know, yeah, yeah. But then pitched it to you like they weren't. And Sorry, like, I just need the table. I got so <laughs> invested. Uh, so definitely, yeah, some good Charlotte action. And then this is a shout-out for Ian. Uh, but I was shocked and awed to see that they had played Warp Tour. So this is a band called World Inferno Friendship Society. Have you heard about them? No. Because they are ska. <gasps> I know. I grew up with Mind Mighty Boston's in the year 2003, and that was all Hunter uh-huh. played for me. So ska I played catch up on. Gotcha. Because Boston's were it for me until I was older, and then I was like, I'm doing a deep dive, bitch. Ska is life. Well, so this is this song was Ian my who was featured Ian um, we talked about him in our sexy episode a yes bit. we he did my friend of the pod friend of the pod he's my best friend he was my first boyfriend he was your lover my lover your oh, lover Jesus for many years but when we were in high school and early college this song Ich erinnere mich an Weimar um, by World Inferno Friendship Society off of their East Coast Super Sound Punk of Today album um, 
was his ringtone, and it starts just like with a blare of brass. Um, <laughs> but they played Warp Tour this year in 2000, uh, and so I had to call them out because. I did not think that anybody could stand them and listen to them, uh, but Ian loves them, and they played Warped, so that's my last honorable mention. Love it. Yay! So stay tuned. Follow us on socials. We're at A Warp to Remember on Instagram and Facebook and MySpace. And follow us on Twitter. We're at Warped number two, remember. You can search us. We're not hard to find. Um, tweet us, Insta us, tell us what you're feeling. Give us some spicy year 2000 box. Yeah. Give us some memes. Maybe you totally hate Linkin Park. Maybe you totally fucking love Linkin Park. Maybe that's Green Day's best album and you have thoughts. Let us know. Maybe you say fuck Papa Roach and let us know. Uh, but let us know at the very least. Let us know if you did fuck Papa Roach. Dude, if you... <laughs> physically fucked anyone on warp tours lineup at any point in history please curious call in dm me i will give you my personal phone number let me know uh but anyway stay tuned next week we're gonna be talking about the year 2000 zoe's gonna spearhead that history up and i'm very excited to learn Uh, a lot and hit us up keep us posted stay classy (laughs) san diego Like, what's a good adjective? I can't. (laughs) This has been a warped remember. Goodbye, I guess. (laughs) It's been a minute. Thanks for listening to Warped to Remember. Bye. I don't remember how we conclude things anymore. (laughs) And I do appreciate that. I, um, was that outside or downstairs? I thought it was Edie. No, she's asleep on the chair. Oh, shit. Yeah. Then it's a ghost. I'm scared. It's the ghost. I immediately wrote it off as like, it's a cat. No. (laughs) Shit.